Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. I have a very, very special guest with me today who I've been courting, I guess, for several months now. Uh, My guest is Kevin Tumlinson, and to most of people in the podcasting world, it is going to need absolutely no introduction whatsoever. Uh, Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Good afternoon. I mean, let's see, I'm, uh, I don't know how many hours opposite you that I am. But it's 3 o'clock here and 6 a.m. there. So I guess good afternoon here, good morning there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, there's a, and there's another difference as well that I'm going to point out. Um, my business is called Tropical Writing Services, and mm. I've just moved down from a tiny place called Magnetic Island office, off Townsville in far north Queensland, and mm. I'm down in Brisbane, which is still tropical, but it's five degrees here today. Oh, and really? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a happy writer. Um, so I'm sitting here in Ugg boots and coats and mittens um, with a cup of Milo in my hand. And Kevin, you're from Texas. Yes. Uh, I, uh, it is not five degrees here. It is very warm here right now. I believe it's uh, somewhere in the high 90s right now, and the humidity is killing me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I think there was something, I think one of the times I contacted you, you were um, quite happy to be in the air conditioning and yes. it was 30 degrees and very sweaty outside. <laughs> right, right, exactly, yeah. yeah. That's what happens when you're in the uh, general Houston area and that's one of the reasons why my wife and I were keen to uh, get in the RV and get on the road full time so that we can you know, choose comfortable places to live. <laughs> There's a mass exodus north as we speak. Uh, this time of year, uh, anyone who has any sense at all is in their RV and heading north. The uh, tried and true track is you go up through Brisbane, up north to town, Townsville, Cairns, Daintree, and across to Darwin, where it's it's very comfortable. Thank you very much, and that's where you stay for the winter. Um, I'm assuming when you travel around that big wide country of yours, that you will have plenty of choices. Yeah, we we do. Um, one interesting thing is the way uh, the mountains actually sort of dissect the country at one point. So there's kind of you know, a definitive east and west here. And, uh, you know, then once you go a little further west, there's a big, huge desert. So we haven't really ventured beyond the mountains yet, uh, but we do like to get up north into the mountains and, and kind of, you know, find a relaxing place. I'm a mountains guy. I'd, I'd much rather be in the mountains than, say, you know, on a beach or in the tropics or something like that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to spending, you know, months at a time on a, on a lake or, you know, somewhere where I've got a, a sort of a vista that I can check out. You know, I want a, a front yard that just stretches on forever and is filled with mountains and lakes. That's what I'm looking for. And, of course, the best thing of all is you'll get to ditch an awful lot of stuff. Um, when you're out there, you just don't need the stuff. Right. We're uh, And that's one of the things we've been working on uh, is downsizing. And we're we're so much closer. Uh, in fact, we just had a huge garage sale, I think our fourth garage sale total at this point over the past weekend, uh, where we're just selling off everything we can. We can, we can use the money. That's really handy, but, uh, mostly it's about just getting rid of this amassed junk that we, <laughs> we've held on to largely, uh, most of our lives. I mean, I brought a lot of stuff into our marriage. I know, uh, I was not a hoarder by any stretch, but I'm, was raised by people who uh, believed in keeping everything, hold on to everything so that you could use it whenever you needed it. So I had a lot of stuff to sort of call through. <laughs> We're finally getting to a point where I think we can move into the RV full time uh, and, and not worry about our whatever we are leaving behind. It'll fit in a, small, a smaller uh, storage unit than what we had before, I think. 
Yeah. And one of, one of the things they say, and I'm sure you've heard it many, many times, is put a little red dot on everything that you pack into your yeah. RV. Yeah. And if it's still there in a year, toss it out. Yeah. We, um, we're going to do something very similar to that. Actually, that's a very good idea. Um, we'll, I may do something like that because um, we, we're doing something like that with boxes and things that we're, we're keeping in storage. Um, I, I write a date on it. I don't write the contents of the box. If I haven't looked in that box in a year, the deal is we're going to take it and donate it <laughs> without ever opening it. Uh, so we're doing something very similar. I, I think that that's a wise plan because there's a tendency for us to overpack, um, as it were. And uh, RVs, of course, have limited space. Um, and we've managed to – <clears throat> Kara and I, I – I'm very blessed in that Kara and I are both organizers. Uh, we both love to – uh, well, we're organizers in different ways, actually. She likes to go shopping for organizational tools. I like to find new and better ways to use things we have. <laughs> so uh, there's a little head bump there, but for the most part, we're both really good at, at optimizing our space. Um, what we're not so good at collectively, and I'm going to take as much of the blame as she does in this, is determining exactly what it is we actually need versus just things we think we might need and, you know, just really just want in the in the space with us. We're having to kind of come to some decisions. Yeah, and it's interesting because right from when I was a little girl, and I notice, and we'll move on to your writing credentials shortly, um, all you need to write is metaphorically a pen and a paper, which I yeah. guess nowadays is our iPads or our iPad Pros, <laughs> right. and a chair and a Vista. Um, I'm guessing when you set off with your travels, you're not going to take all your um, gear and no. that you will be downsizing that as well. Yeah, okay. So uh, I've actually, I've done a great deal of this already. Um, before, we had, we had a home, we had a four-bedroom home, and it was about 2,500 square foot, which is fairly large. Um, it was like four bedrooms, plus I had my study slash office. Uh, there was a dining room. There was a lot of space in this house. And I had a full-fledged um, recording studio where I did uh, the podcasts and I did other work. Um, we decided to sell the house so that we could get moving toward this journey. And temporarily, we moved into an apartment. Uh, that's where we are now. Uh, but we we've purchased our RV, so it, we've taken steps. In those steps, I downsized the the equipment I needed, and uh, that was kind of painful in a way. I I, <laughs> I have a background in media, and I used to own a uh, a small production studio, uh, and I I, did, I had a business, you know, creating video and audio and other materials for uh, clients, and. I had all this equipment. I still have it technically. It's still in storage. I've been selling pieces of it. Uh, but, you know, getting everything down to like now a small MacBook Air and uh, I have an iPad that I use as kind of a backup writing tool. And uh, I, in a pinch, I can just, you know, use a Bluetooth keyboard with my iPhone. <laughs> I, can, I can get online, do whatever I need to do. Um, and then the recording stuff, I, I really called that down. Like I'm, I, I'm talking to you right now on a, uh, it's a Zoom H4n handy recorder. It's, it's a small, small-ish recorder. It's very, it's kind of fancy looking, but it's a, uh, you know, a, a self-contained unit. I can record on it, or I can use it as a microphone, which is what I'm using now. And uh, that was kind of a, a little bit of a transition because I had this mixer and I had a professional mic on a swing arm and I had, you know, a whole bunch of equipment <laughs> that I had to kind of trim down. So that was, that was been, that's been interesting and it's been a little heartbreaking at times uh, only because I like stuff. Uh, but it's also been kind of liberating because I've realized now I, I really can't fit all of my work into a backpack. I, I, I've had a dream of doing that forever. Um, I, as far back as my early twenties, I, I always tried to do that and it was always impossible <laughs> because it was just, you know, there were too many things I needed to do and too much processing power I needed. So I always needed a large computer and then later a large laptop and, you know, all the things I do now I do on a very small footprint and it, it's been liberating. Um, I'm, I'm actually kind of enjoying it. Now, my wife, we're getting her trimmed down, too. We're, we're selling um, her larger laptop. I gave her one of my old MacBooks. She's pretty happy with that. And uh, so computing-wise, I think we're, 
we're pretty slender at this point. Yeah, and I think there's, I, I said to you um, previously, I think, that cutting down and running your podcasts on the road yeah. without even your MacBook Air is is starting to become very, very possible. Now, I've got my iPad Pro and mm-hmm. I've got my portable mics and things, um, but that power issue is still huge and apparently Apple are just starting to deal with that now. Yeah. Have you heard anything about that? Well, power-wise, I've never really had any issues because I've always got um, – I'm paranoid about power. Um, my wife and I are polar opposites on this. Uh, she'll use her phone without plugging it in all day long until it's just dead, and I can't stand that. I actually have my phone plugged in almost all day, um, and if it's not plugged into a wall or USB port, it's plugged into you know, one of these external – battery packs. <laughs> so I, I keep everything charged up, uh, because I, I'm just paranoid about power, uh, and the laptops are the same way. And luckily, you know, the RV is convenient for power. I, we, you know, we have plenty of places to plug in, so I never have to worry about things running down. We've got a full generator in this thing. So, you know, we, we can even boondock and, uh, and run the whole show, you know, off grid if we need to. But the bigger thing for me, honestly, is data, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll talk about. Well, the other you were talking about going off grid, and right. now I live or have lived for the last couple of years in a 17 foot caravan. Mm-hmm. Now, your definition of RV and my definition of RV, I'm guessing, are quite different because I was listening to one of your podcasts, and you were interviewing a lady, and she was about to travel around America. Uh, advertising her books and she had the pictures of her books plastered all over the outside of her RV. Right. Now I saw pictures of that RV and I think yours is very similar. Yeah. Would you like to describe your new home to us? Sure. Okay. What what we did, well, originally we bought a very small A-frame pop-up. That was our kind of that was our dinghy, and <laughs> that was our lifeboat uh, while we uh, got ready uh, to, to go bigger. Um, by sheer, sheer, I mean sheer, I didn't mean sure, sheer happenstance, uh, we, we just sort of happened across um, an RV that we had actually looked at uh, about a year ago, two years ago or so, uh, that we, at the time we weren't able to afford. And um, this time we sort of, you know, we came across it at a price that was fairly reasonable for us, and we were able to finance it. The one we ended up with is a it's <laughs> it's like a it's a thirty eight foot uh, motorhome with like three slide outs and everything. And I I don't know the actual square footage of this thing um, because they don't really they don't really give you that information. Uh, I'll have to measure it, but I mean I can tell you that it's it's roughly the same size as the very first apartment I ever lived in. So <laughs> it's actually <laughs> fairly large. Um, and of course, you know, we don't we 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 went back and forth. Uh, at one point, we were talking about maybe getting like a fifth wheel trailer and towing it behind a pickup truck, which would have been it has its ups and downs. Um, but with this, we actually. I don't know, we can, you know, we can stop anywhere and without ever exiting the vehicle, you know, we can, we can have, we can heat up lunch. I can get the generator going and microwave something for lunch if we want and restrooms are uh, right there. I don't, we don't have to exit and go, you know, use a dirty truck stop restroom or something. You know, we have all the conveniences of home, uh, anywhere we decide to stop. So that's one of the reasons we went with, we went big is really what we did because <laughs> our plan is, you know, come October, uh, we will, we are already moving into this. I mean, there's, there's no going back at this point. Like we've already arranged our lives so that come October, we live in this RV full time. We practically live in it full time now. And if it were any smaller, I think Kara and I might murder each other. <laughs> no, I, I joke about that. Cause we actually had no problems whatsoever. This is a very large space. Once it's all set up, it's very comfortable. Yeah. It's I, not like um, the caravan. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I lived in my caravan, my 17-foot, which is, what, half, more yeah. than half your size. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm very much an outdoor person, so I've got two teenage daughters, yeah. and they were inside 90% of the time, and I was outside 90% of the time, because there's nothing nicer at this time of the morning, having a cup of Milo mm. uh, and listening to the kookaburras. Uh, there are some things, and I'll 
love to come back and talk to you as you begin your journey, uh, mm-hmm. that you just can't find inside your rig. You have, you have to get out there. Right. And other thing I want to just talk to you about is you keep mentioning this magic word generator. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure how popular you would be in some of our outback places. Possibly. Well, it just depends. I mean, it's a very quiet running generator, actually. Um, for for one thing, it's a it's a Cummins generator. It's it's actually completely sealed in its own um, sound not soundproof but sound dampening container, and then that's inst- installed inside another sound dampening container in the RV. And so it it has it makes all the noise of a running car engine. I mean, it's it's very quiet. Um, we've when we are uh, out and about and we have to boondock. And it happens. I mean, when we take longer trips, like uh, this, this last trip we took was around 2,400 miles. Um, we stopped several times and boondocked for the night um, in, like, you know, gas station parking lots and Cracker Barrel parking lots, places like that. Very, very uh, odd places at first, but then you get kind of used to it. <laughs> but um, the uh, the great thing was we could run that generator. It wasn't loud. We... Uh, we slept fine. There, it, it does kind of dampen sound from outside. It's like a white noise thing, but I don't think anybody would be disturbed by it. I mean, I could be wrong. There's if if you're out in the woods and you know you've got an engine running the whole time, maybe people would be upset, and I can understand that. But that's why we're typically going to go to campgrounds <laughs> instead of oh. trying to camp on in the woods. Yeah. Now I wonder. I wonder if that will change as well, because there is a real push here in Australia at the moment to free camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the caravan parks and the campgrounds have become quite expensive. Yeah, and to travel from campground to campground uh, can really limit your budget. A lot of, I guess we call them grey nomads. Yeah. They live on the road full time, and they have to stretch their money from fortnight to fortnight. So there's a plethora of books coming out saying free camping here, free. Camp camping there um i'm a little bit more restricted than you in that along with my two teenagers i've got two cat oh sorry two dogs and a cat and a fish so (laughs) we actually get kicked out of a few campgrounds um so we've done a yeah we've done a lot more free camping um but we've got solar have you got solar can that run all your gear and gizmos as well so we're gonna we are actually we're gonna actually look into that because I well, I have a I have a solar panel kit that I will um, I'm gonna use to try to run part of it. It's really it's all about the batteries, right? I, I could technically run off of a battery and inverter for a while. The generator it just keeps things continuously charged, and I there are uh, our generator has this sort of um, auto start system that I haven't quite figured out yet. Um, but we can set it up so that you know if the if the RV reaches a certain temperature, for example, it can kick on and, and power everything until it cools down or heats up or whatever the goal is. Um, haven't mastered that yet. That's a that's something I'm looking into because it's we bought it used and it didn't come with every every manual we needed. <laughs> and we're going to do a whole boot camp training thing uh, come I think November. Um, it, you're, I mean we. Honestly, as much as I'm, I plan to be outdoors frequently. The goal for us was uh, mostly to have a home that could change our our physical location as often as possible. And it wasn't really about. I I, I love being outdoors, but I knew my wife was not going to be on board with that. Like she was not going to be on board with you know tent camping or having a small trailer in in the woods or something. You know, and um, so that changed some of the parameters of what we were after. There are solar kits for this thing that I do think will power the whole unit. Uh, we're going to build up to that slowly, though. I've got one kit now, and I figure I'll use that to power certain, like, uh, well, for example, uh, as long as I've got power going to something that can provide Internet and to charge the devices that need to use that Internet, that's that's going to help us a lot. <laughs> so uh, the rest of the panels will will eventually upgrade. I mean, my goal would be to run this thing completely off grid full time if I could. It's just it's such a big unit and there's there's so many uh, things to consider. I don't know how easy that's going to be to pull off right away. But solar panel technology has gotten a lot better. I've I've been looking into it and talking to some people, and I think there's a possibility of of doing that probably within like a couple of years. 
And they have this wonderful uh, group of people out there. They're called the Laundry Mafia. Yeah. And wherever you are and whatever you do, they have advice for you um, from where to go next to, wow, you've got that set up all wrong in your rig. How about I come over and help you? Uh, I notice travelling as a woman alone, very rarely do I find myself in a spot where some husband or other will come over and sort me out pretty yeah. quick, smart. Um, the the travelling fraternity seem to be very, very generous, which brings me to something that, and it's one of the reasons I've really touched base with you and want to keep in touch with you, is there seems to be a trend for more of us to seek our freedom. Mm-hmm. And I notice in mm-hmm. your... Uh, resume or in some of the stuff I've been digging up with you, there's this wonderful word word called unemployable. Um, Are you finding, as you talk more and more about your experiences, that there are more people out there doing it than you actually thought? Oh, absolutely. And it's actually kind of, it's both shocking and entertaining. (laughs) Um, We, um, every time I mention this anywhere, the over the sort of overwhelming response is always uh, in the range of um, we've always wanted to do that, but uh, to, uh, yeah, we did that for a while. <laughs> and so, or, or we're currently doing that. Um, as soon as, as soon as uh, Karen and I announced on Facebook, for example, that we were going to do this, um, I, I had friends and family come out of the woodwork telling me they were either already doing it or were going to do it in the next few months. Kara's got actually a couple of cousins who, um, they're twin sisters, and uh, they just decided, you know, they basically they're, they're retirement age, and uh, they just decided, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna buy an RV, we're gonna fix it up, and we're gonna live in it full time, and we're gonna travel full time, which was, um, you know, exactly the plan Karen and I have. Of course, we're not retirement age. Uh, we're you know we're still we're in our I'm you know we're I'm in my forties. I'm not gonna tell you what age Kara is, <laughs> um, because I like being alive. No, uh, but I, uh, you know, we're not retirement age and we're looking to do this as a, a lifestyle, uh, for a while. And I was shocked to encounter a number of people who are doing the same thing, um, under those terms. I mean, it's, it's really kind of interesting to me. And of course I, you know, I'm, I'm on podcasts and I'm, I write, uh, blog posts and I'm interviewed for various sites and, uh, uh, mostly about my work, about, about the writing, uh, but it almost inevitably comes up that we're going to do this RV thing because it's interesting. And as soon as something comes out, I can count on it. Like every time a podcast comes out, you know, I'll get ten or fifteen people uh, jumping on my mailing list and emailing me and saying, you know, they're really interested in this or they've always wanted to do it. So I think it's a it's it's a movement. I think. I mean, people are. I don't know. We're tired. I mean, we're tired of, uh, you know, working so hard and so long and giving so much to, to other people. And then all, all we get out of it is to come home and look out of the same window at the same yard, <laughs> you know, that yard that we have to mow, by the way, or we have to, you know, paint the house or do these things. Um, and, you know, we never get to experience anything other than this small corner of the world. And I think that people are kind of opening up as the Internet has opened us up to other cultures and ideas in a way that's unprecedented, I believe that that is cascading down. You know, social media gives us a chance to talk to people all over the world. You know, I, I'm talking to you right now. We're talking, and we're not on Skype right now, which is unusual for me. I mean, we're on something else, but similar, right? So we're, we're talking, um, and we could be face-to-face right now, and we're in t- two opposite <laughs> parts of the planet. And that idea is infectious. It's hard to... You know, it's hard to sit here and and have a conversation with someone, you know, thousands of miles away from me, and then turn around and I'm I'm always going to be in the same place physically. You know, I want my physical life to catch up with my digital life. I want to be able to bounce around as often as I as I please. I want a new front yard every every few months if I choose. You know, and I think a lot of people are kind of getting on board with that. You know, there's there are all these blogs, uh, video blogs. There's uh, podcasts, there's, you know, all these people now who are out producing things about this lifestyle. And so there's a growth opportunity here. Like we are able to look and see how it works. We're, we learn from each other. And I, I absolutely have, by the way, the same group of people come up to me at any given campground and say, <laughs> you've got things plugged in all wrong, or, Hey, you could do this better. Or have you ever heard of this? Um, we met a gentleman, his name was Larry. We were at a campground in Kansas 
And, uh, you know, we talked and had, a, we, he had some interesting things to, to share with me and I learned a lot. And then we left and a couple of days later, we were at a campground in Colorado Springs and there's Larry. He popped up at <laughs> the same, <laughs> same campground, you know, and what are the odds? And he had even more to share with me. And so there is this huge community growing up around this idea. And I think it's because we're tired of being locked in one place. I think we all have this, this, uh, I don't know, this need, this growing, gnawing need to get out and, and face the world in a way that we never did before. And it's, it's interesting because I'm in a position where I'm getting a little bit grey. Um, you talked about being in your 40s, and I think um, I did quick math earlier and I can give you 10 years. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm ready to get out there and play. And my teenage daughters who... I have no understanding why, are absolutely insisting that we stay in Brisbane while they go to school. Huh. Now I'm a, I'm a teacher okay. and I'm going, guys, I thought I had trained you better than this. We've got a vehicle, we've got a rig, we can go play wherever we want to. And they go, yeah, we will, mummy, but can we just go to school for a while? And I'm going, no, not now. Um, so you're talking about downsizing and moving into your RV and not having to mow the lawn anymore. Yeah. I've just rented a house for six months and I'm finding myself having to sweep floors and clean kitchens <laughs> and wander from room to room picking up stuff and it's amazing. Just as quickly as you downsize, Kevin, you can grow. So right. we've gone from 17 foot of space to filling up a house with crap we just don't want or need. Right. And I thought in another six months, because we'll go back on the road, we'll be throwing it all out again. And it is so libera liberating, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, it is interesting. And that's one of the things that it's been a kind of salve for our our aching hearts, I guess, uh, <laughs> in that when we... Um, when we sell things or get rid of things, you know, as we're downsizing, I had, you know, at first I have these little panic attacks, you know, like, uh, what am I doing? That those are my tools that, you know, that's a, that's something my grandmother left me, you know, there's all these heartaches. And, uh, but then suddenly it's like, you just have room to breathe and for the first time in a long time. And, uh, you know, you can, put your arms out to your side and spin around in your, in your home and not touch anything. That's interesting. You know, uh, it's not quite that dramatic, but, um, one of the things that I realized and my wife has realized is it is just stuff. It didn't take anything at all for us to collect it. I mean, we, <laughs> um, a lot of the things we sold in the garage sale, uh, this, this, this past garage sale, um, I'm sort of, a I do this thing called junk driving. I don't do it as often now um, because we are downsizing, but I call it junk driving. A buddy and I do this. We'll we'll go out on the uh, uh, trash collection days, and people will put some some fairly cool stuff by the curve. And we're both handy guys, so we'll pick things up. We'll fix them up, paint them, you know, clean them up, make them work, and uh, maybe repurpose them into something else or whatever. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I sold in the garage sale came from that kind of thing. <laughs> so we didn't pay anything for it. So it's not like money's going to limit us. If we ever decide to go back, I can, I can just start looking around and find what we need. And, uh, people give you gifts, you know, sometimes that you, you hang on to because you, you don't want to offend, you know, you, you might hang on to something for sentimental reasons or, uh, maybe it had a purpose at one time, but now it doesn't. Um, I've got like an espresso, um, a small espresso machine that, you know, was given to me as a gift early in our marriage. And, uh, we've held on to it because we didn't, there was this underlying fear that the second we sell this thing that, you know, the people who gave it to us are going to come asking about it. <laughs> and that never happens. <laughs> that's never going to happen. So yeah, no. that's the biggest thing I think people have to overcome when they get in, get on this sort of journey is this idea that, um, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I, I honestly think we're still holding on to too much. Um, and I think I'm, I'm guilty of that as, as much as my wife is. Um, but if, if say there were a fire, God forbid, and every bit of that stuff burned up, um, I think we'd be heartbroken about it for about a day and then we'd move on in our lives. And, um, that's kind of the, you know, that's the point. I mean, we're, we're at a point now where we can let go and, uh, letting go actually does free you up. I mean, it frees up a lot of mental bandwidth. Like I'm not sitting here contemplating like, what am I going to do with all this furniture now? Well, we've already de determined 
Um, here, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with what's going on in the Houston area. Uh, we're, we're currently in the greater Houston area. We'll, we'll be leaving soon, but there's been a lot of flooding here. Um, and a lot of families have lost homes. They've lost everything. So, you know, we're, we're going to be moving and leaving behind uh, a lot of furniture that we just, we don't need. And if we ever need furniture again, we know where to find it. Um, so we're going to donate a bunch of our furniture to people and donate a bunch of clothing and donate a bunch of, uh, odds and ends that people can, can have in their homes and, uh, feel, feel good about their lives. <laughs> so, and it, and it's funny, as you say, I've just unpacked a container full of furniture. One of the reasons we've moved into our house for the six months is, A, to get this business up and functional. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was to sort out that container of furniture. And my daughters and I, as we unpack hundreds and hundreds of boxes, we're looking at each other going, why did we pack this again? Why did we keep this again? Right. And out of all those hundreds of boxes, and they're 30-foot containers, however long they are, my eldest daughter, who's a bit of a um, bibliophile like myself, she wanted one book, and I'm going, darling, there are 300 boxes there. How are we going to find one book? Well, she did, um, but now that she's read it, it's, well, what are we going to do with the other, you know, right. 30 foot of stuff? And it's it's get rid of it because yeah. you just don't need it. Let me tell you, books have been the biggest challenge for me <laughs> because uh, books right. are very important uh, to me. And, um, of course, right? Yeah, and I actually, over the past couple of years, we've sold a lot of my books. Um, uh, I've given a lot away to people I knew would appreciate them, but, you know, largely, you know, I was okay with selling them. Uh, it hurts to see that box of books go in and, and be sorted through, and some are tossed to the side as useless when, you know, they were, I, I, I cared for all of them, you know. Uh, one of the things that's really helped me out on the book front, I still like books. Uh, actual books you know i like paperbacks uh, i still buy them occasionally because i like to read them but uh you know ha having the ability to to put all my books on uh say my kindle uh or the kindle app um i know where they are and i can read them anytime i want i have an entire library and so i have this habit now of I, this is something that, that's kind of new and so i'm playing with it and determining what i want to do here but uh as i read a book I go find someone to give that book to, <laughs> right? Um, one cool thing, and I don't know if this is worldwide or not, but in the States, there are some places like uh, Good Sam's and uh, places like that, that that tend to have little nooks where, you know, travelers will leave things for other travelers. So, you know, I, one thing I've started doing is writing little notes in uh, like the inside cover of a book, like to tell people, this is why I love this book. This is who I am. It's a little bit of a self-promotion, I'll admit, because I'll put my web address, you know, or email address or something, um, and uh, then I'll go leave that book somewhere for someone to pick up and enjoy, you know? And so it's kind of a way to pay it forward, I guess, um, just sort of the, I'm sharing my love, you know, here's something I love, and but it keeps the clutter down, uh, and it keeps us from having a, you know, a thousand books, which would stack up pretty fast <laughs> for us, um, and then I'll go buy that book on Kindle. Um, usually for fairly cheap and I, I can keep that book around. So if I ever want to reread the book, uh, there it is. Now those books that are like immensely special to me that, that, you know, maybe I've got a signed copy or something or whatever. I mean, I'll, of course I'll hold on to those, you know? Uh, but even some of those, I'm like, eh, you know, I haven't looked at this book in years. It doesn't really hold a ton of sentimental attraction for me. I'll see if someone wants it. It's, Funny, but when you get out there, any seasoned traveller, and if they see you with magazines or books, they just look at you and shake their heads because people out on the road do not buy books. They leave them in the laundry for the next person to read exactly as you're going to yeah. do it now. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of times there, my daughters and I, because we, we're addicted, we'll go into bookshops and we'll buy books and we'll come home. And our friends who are mostly um, travellers as well now just say, you need to give up that habit. You can actually travel further and longer if you don't buy the stuff. And we're going, oh, but it's our, la it's our last. Please don't make us give up our books. Um, I, I don't but think. I, I... Go ahead. You're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, there was a little cutout. I'm sorry. I, so I didn't hear the last of what you said, and I think I interrupted you. I apologize. But um, I was I was just going to interject that um, – 
I, I, I don't like this idea of, of um, ta- you know, cutting everything out of my life that I enjoy for the purpose of traveling. Like, I, I, I don't see it that way. Like, travel is uh, an augmentation of my life, not a limitation. If I wanted limitations, I'd just stay in the house that we owned or I'd, I'd stay in this apartment we rent. Um, I got plenty of limitations already. So, <laughs> um, and I know there are limitations of space and I know there are limitations of weight and uh, those things matter. Uh, but I think there's absolutely nothing wrong. If you're going to be parked in a spot for, you know, a few weeks or a few months and you want to go, uh, you know, hit the bookstores and come home with some treasures, that's a joy. I don't want to limit myself on that, you know? And uh, beyond that, it's an opportunity to share. And I think we don't get enough opportunities to share, you know? We don't get enough opportunities to just be unselfish and just do something for the pure joy of it. And I think you're, I think you and your daughters are absolutely doing the right thing by going into bookshops and buying books and loving them and then and then handing them to someone else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, Kevin, we have big dreams. Yeah. We've got and this podcasting business and the writing business, it's so portable and we'll talk about your business shortly. Yeah. Um, but the the biggest thing about it is we can go anywhere, do anything and call it work. Yeah. And I wrote something, uh, yeah, it was only yesterday I wrote it down for some promotional thing and it's... It's my dream that we travel around all the writers' festivals and book fairs and we're looking at the London Book Fair, we're looking at Frankfurt, but at the moment we're going to places like Byron Bay, which are little coastal cities um, on the the east coast of Australia here. People will consider that exotic. We take it for granted, but it's an exotic lifestyle. And I said to my daughters, people would kill to be doing what we're doing um, because it does give you that freedom, which brings me to the business side of things, and I've been remiss. Uh, it's We're 36 minutes in, and I haven't spoken to you about your business. Now, I'm guessing you're at a stage now where you can work from anywhere. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've actually been at that stage for quite a while, so I – uh, with some caveats. I mean, there are, there are ups and downs in this business, just like any business, um, but at this moment, I'm a, I am a, full, I'm a full-time author. Um, I write – at this point, I write thrillers. I, I've written a lot of science fiction and fantasy, uh, but I write thrillers now, uh, um, primarily. And uh, you know, I've written some nonfiction books, and I do speaking engagements, and I do you know, the podcast uh, is a somewhat of a revenue generator, not not nearly what I would like it to be. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's I've tailored my lifestyle to be um, fluid like that. Like I, I've worked very hard to be able to work for myself. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a tough boss. <laughs> and as I said, uh, for anyone who is interested, there is a wonderful podcast out there called Unemployable, and yeah. it tells the stories of so many people out there who just refuse to sit in an office or something similar and wake up at the end of their lives and say, gee, I better get out there and do it now. Um, I learned right. that lesson very early in the piece. It, 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 I Yep. Yeah, it scares me to death to think of, um, you know, spending my life. I mean, I've had at various times in my life, I've had to work for other people. It just is sometimes that's just the way things go. Um, and it's not the working for other people that bothers me. It's the it's the exchange of, you know, here's the life I'm trying to live. Uh, and here's the life that this group, this business insists that I live because they, they need a butt in a seat. And I, I'm terrified of waking up at the end of my life and seeing more of those days than I see of days where I'm, you know, I'm riding from a gorgeous mountain view or I'm riding in the lobby of a beautiful, you know, vintage hotel or, you know, I want, I want my life to be filled with a blur of those days. <laughs> I, I, I want to actually, I want that to become so mundane to me that uh, I barely notice it anymore, you know, because th- at that point, I think I will have lived a very rich and full life. Um, I am absolutely terrified of, of waking up. I'm no longer terrified of it. I mean, it could still happen that, you know, something comes along and now I have to go find a day job, right? Uh, that could still happen, but I don't. For me, I think even if it, that happens, um, I've gone too far to go back. Like, I'll go to the day job and then, you know, <laughs> for 
come five o'clock Friday, I'm in the ARV and driving as far as I can get uh, to to sit by a lake or to you know sit by a beach or you know go attend a book festival or something. You know, I mean that, those things uh, are just part of our lives now, and there's no going back from it. Yeah. And when you get out there, as you said, everybody um, treats it as normal. Yeah. But there's something that I learned. I lived um, with my first husband on a yacht many, many years ago. And we used to, all, the saying was, we wonder what the poor people are doing. <laughs> and we'd be sitting on this boat that was worth less than people's cars. And we're going, right. why? Why aren't more people doing this? But someone very wise pointed out to us, if we all did it, civilization would collapse. So we need that 90% of people uh, living that suburban life so that the rest of us can have the freedom. Uh, and I know that sounds selfish, well, but, but there someone, are people, someone's got to... There are people, though, who see that life as freedom, though. So there, there's a... It, it really is all about your personal perspective and, and your life goals and, de, and the desires of your heart. I mean, it's... Um, which sounds so, I mean, it, it sounds kind of out there to say that sort of thing. And, and you and I, we approach this, this is part of our business actually, which is interesting, you know, and a, and a difficult concept for some people I think to understand. Uh, some people live for their careers. Uh, my career, I use, um, I interviewed Scott Barlow who ha- has the, um, the happen to your career podcast. I interviewed him for my show <clears throat> and, um, he uses a definition of career that I love and it's, what he terms it's the original like classic definition where career in, is all inclusive, uh, not just the work that you do, but the life that you lead. And so he's, when he's saying happen to your career, he's saying, go out and happen to your life, go out and, you know, make, make, uh, take steps to actually make your life, you know, something extraordinary. And I love that. Uh, I think that that's exactly what I'm trying to do, what my wife is trying to do. And I think that people also do that in their in their day jobs. I mean, there are people who just love the work they do, and they love having their house, and they love having their yard. And um, I, I absolutely understand that. But it has never been a comfortable fit for me. And I, I, I ultimately, Kara and I will, uh, we kind of joke that we're driving around trying to find our, our house. We're house hunting on a, on a national scale. And, uh, you know, one day we'll find the kind of place that we'll be very comfortable settling into and staying full time. Um, I, I, I just know us, we, we are fairly sedentary actually when it comes down to it. We, we like, we like sitting and staring out the window, uh, at a beautiful view. I mean, we, and we like routine and we like, you know, stability. So I think eventually we'll come back to that. But right now we're antsy and we're, we know what this area has to offer. We've lived here most of our lives. Uh, when we travel, every time we've ever traveled, we always picture ourselves living in this space. You know, if we're driving anywhere in the U.S., I mean, and, and overseas, I mean, anytime we were in Europe, I mean, every time we've ever traveled anywhere, we, we picture ourselves living full time in this space. And uh, I think that that's a mark of, of people who haven't found their home yet. And so we are basically homeless. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing. And it's feeling. a wonderful thing. But, yeah, we might be giving people, I am concerned we might be giving people the wrong idea um, in one respect, and it's something that people who are either A, new to writing, mm-hmm. or B, new to the freedom lifestyle, it's finding that balance between, I guess, work and relaxation right. that... In the strictures of a home, it's easier because you're bound by, I guess, uh, normality. Mm-hmm. When you're out on the road, there is so much to do and so much to see. Yeah. Um, it's carving out that time for work. Have you got any plans uh, as you as you move into this lifestyle of setting boundaries and perimeters yeah. of your own guarding your workspace? I can workspace? tell you that I, I think I get the gist of what you're asking and it, that guarding and protecting my workspace, I, I, I have plans <laughs> and largely the way this is going to work. Um, first of all, I'm very fortunate in that I am a morning person and I'm an early riser and I typically will get up at, you know, around four or four thirty uh, every morning, um, do my routine and sit down to write. And I can, I can, if I can do two hours of writing, I can knock out my word count for the day. So, that side of the business I can take care of uh, very early in the morning and get it essentially out of the way. 
the rest of my business, um, I'm hoping to retire from some of it. Like I want to retire from working with clients, for example, as much as I love working with my clients, it's not my dream and it's not, um, it's not a long-term goal. Uh, as book sales increase and they are, I've had a record month, um, this, this month, uh, I woke up this morning having broken a record, <laughs> a personal record in, uh, income on Amazon alone. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a mark. I like that. Um, but the plan for me in our RV, we actually have three segmented spaces and the very front space is kind of a, it was, it, it can be, uh, blocked off. There are two sliding doors and it separates from the rest of the RV and it's meant to be it's sort of a family room most of the time, but you know, if you have guests, it, it becomes a makeshift guest room in the RV, uh, complete with like a drop-down bunk bed and a fold-out couch, and you know, it's got its own television and all that. Well, it also has this little desk area <laughs> that folds up from the passenger seat, and it has an outlet and it has fans and it has uh, a wide, huge view through the windshield. So that is essentially my office um, in the mornings. And I, I can sit there and write and I can look out at, you know, if, if it's comfortable enough to be outside, I'll just go right outside. But if I'm stuck inside for the morning, I've got all the things I need right at hand. And I've got my cup of coffee or my cup of Earl Grey and I'm sitting and watching the sunrise and I'm penning whatever my next book is. And um, that is sacred time. It's, it's you know, I, I work by word count, not time. So, you know, as long as I hit 5,000 words a day, I'm, I'm productive. Um, and if I got to do them, if I got to finish them up late at night, you know, that sucks, but that's what I got to do. But, uh, basically if I can hit that in two hours in the morning, then I'm, I'm done and, uh, done with the writing. Um, and then it's just marketing. Marketing can be almost on autopilot. I mean, I'll do some interviews like this one. I'll, I'll, uh, send out some emails to my mailing list. I, uh, I have a, a guy running Facebook ads for me to help me build that mailing list. So that kind of, that stuff's more or less on autopilot in my life right now. So that makes my life much easier. And then going out and having those experiences, seeing those you know, touristy spots and, you know, talking to people while we're out and having dinner and or lunch at some cafe. I mean, those, these are, that's part of the work for me. Like that's, <laughs> that's all research. You know, the last time we were, when we, we were in Canada a couple of months ago, uh, we were in Ontario. Um, and I, uh, was writing from a coffee shop, uh, in a small town and, you know, Several characters, uh, several people I met in the, that coffee shop ended up being characters in the next piece that I wrote. And, uh, I considered this, you know, that's a write off, man. I, I can write off the whole trip from because of that one event. So, you know, that's all work to me. But yes, I have, I, I am protecting the work. I am, I have a schedule and I have a space. And, uh, the only time that that gets disrupted is if we are in the actual throes of travel. Um, because while the travel days are the roughest days for me, I hardly ever hit my word count. I get, you know, I'm physically hurting from, uh, from lots of driving, you know, there's, it's, it's, that part's rough. But, um, when we're settled in a spot for a while, I mean, I fall into my routine instantly. So there's no real problem with that. And I think that's, um, in part, that's what my podcast, I had to, my gift to, to, writers and people who want to start the writing process mm-hmm. is you have you said you have to guard your writing time yeah. uh, very very closely because without the work uh, nothing happens right. uh, are you finding that people are asking you about that process um, you, okay I, I, I lost you uh, the last thing I heard was, am I finding people are asking about, and then that it dropped off. So ah. I'll answer that question or unless you, Oh, there you are. You're back. Yeah. I, I'm wondering whether um, the internet is dropping in and out a bit on us, which is why we may be having some trouble. <laughs> really Forget the sorry. fact that I live in a city and you live in a city. Uh, yeah, it's, the it's, internet it's is, is notoriously uh, unstable. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. As you said, um, guarding that process. Um, if you've got any advice to, I guess, younger writers or new writers coming through mm-hmm. without without your work ethic um it defeats the purpose of of your business yeah and i so i wrote a whole book on this topic um 
the 30 day author is all about this idea. But if you're, if your goal is to be a writer full time, there's, there's one thing you can't avoid in this business. And that's to actually sit down and write because <laughs> you can get someone to do marketing for you. You can get someone to design covers, to do formatting, to do editing. Uh, you know, all, every aspect of this business can be outsourced to someone else except for the actual writing. Um, and so, and, and technically we could argue that you could have someone ghost write for you as well. But, uh, if you want to be the one, you know, producing those words, that's, that's your, that's your job. So, um, I, I preach the message of, you know, sitting down every single day and developing a daily writing habit and do, using whatever tools you have uh, to do that. You know, if if you don't have story ideas, then sit down and journal every day until you start having story ideas. If you don't have um, if you don't feel comfortable journaling, uh, if you feel like that's wasted time, sit down and write a blog post every day or sit down and write an email every day and treat everything you write as productive writing time. Um uh, Practice the craft, practice, you know, using good grammar, practice using, uh, you know, going back and editing, you know, do all the things that you think uh, a good writer should do, uh, no matter what it is you're writing and just, you know, develop that, that habit because that habit is what's going to see you through. I like to write in terms of a daily writing goal and I have a big one, um, because I've been doing this forever, but I don't. I don't necessarily think everyone should have to shoot for 5,000 words a day. Um, if you can only do 500 words a day, that's still a book every like 90 days. You know, I mean, if you, if you can sit down and do that, it only takes like three, three and a half months at most to write, you know, a, a 50,000 word book. So, um, do that. <laughs> you know, what's the excuse not to do that? If your goal is to be a writer full time, the one thing you, you really need to focus on is writing full time. Um, and I wrote on the side of a job for years. I, you know, I was a teacher at one point. I was an engineer at one point. I was, you know, I've had a lot of different jobs and some of them were more taxing than others. And, uh, I still, I got up every morning and I wrote and I wish I'd been actually more disciplined about it, um, earlier in my career. Cause man, just think of what I could have produced. You know, I could have had, you know, a, a huge library of books, a Stephen King level of, of books, but, uh, I didn't do that. And, uh, that's one of the regrets of my life. I do it now, <laughs> you know, and I've done it for the past several years. And so I'm, I'm proud of that work and I do have a large library. I'm, I'm fairly prolific at this point, but, uh, I only got there by committing to doing it. And there's this saying that, uh, the first million words are practice uh, which I used to hate, but now I actually kind of believe. <laughs> so if you want to do this work and be really good at it, uh, writing every day is the only way to get through that first hurdle of a million words. Cause once you've, once you've done it to that point and I mean, you're taking it seriously and you're taking advice from, from real professionals, you're getting things edited, you're, you know, you're working on your craft. I mean, once you've kind of hit that level, um, you're, you're in with the big boys at that point. I mean, you, you're producing at a level that, um, many traditionally published authors don't. So you can be proud of that. I think that's the thing you need to focus on. It's the best, best business advice I can give for the, for the will be author. <laughs> and, and look, I, I am going to wind things up because I knew it would happen as it has every time. I've taken up nearly an hour of your time. Um, we have not mentioned your book, so I'm sitting here on my iPad. I have a copy of The 30-Day Author, okay. and I will, I'll put that in the show notes. I've got the Coelho, Coelho if I pronounce that correctly, it's Medallion. Medallion. Yeah, it just uh, like Paulo Coelho, the, the author who wrote The Alchemist. <laughs> and Look, I do not read science fiction, fine. That's fine. but I, I have to tell you that your new book I, I haven't been able to put down. It's a, I don't know whether it's a movie genre for you or whether it's um, you've been writing it all along, but it's an action thriller. Mm -hmm. uh, and I took a quote from somewhere, but I've also just found it on your website, and it says, Kevin has crashed onto the action thriller scene as only an action thriller author can with bombastic plot lines, unforgettable characters, and enough adrenaline to keep you awake all night. Uh, are you going to continue to write thrillers? Yes. Because I'm guessing there's a whole lot of people out there yeah. who hope that you do. It was amazing to me what the, re the reaction I got um, 
because I've been a sci-fi writer for a long time, and um, and I was am I am proud of my work. I mean, I, I love the books I wrote. There are people who absolutely love them, can't put them down, you know. And I uh, I'm, I wanted to continue to provide them with stories that they'd love, but it it just sort of never it never fully clicked with me. Um, as much as I love that work, uh, I I never found success. You know, I, I kept pushing and pushing and not the kind of success I was looking for. And, uh, even when they started to kind of provide an, an income for me, an income stream for me, um, it, you know, I still felt like I wasn't quite hitting the mark of what I wanted to do with my career. Basically Nick Thacker, good friend of mine, fellow author, we, we've co-authored some things together. We're on a couple of podcasts uh, together as co-hosts. Um, he more or less dared me to write this book <laughs> and, uh, uh, because he just he just knew. I mean, he just knew I would enjoy it. He knew that I'd be good at it. And I wrote it um, and uh, it took a little longer to write it than most of my books because it was a new genre I was branching into. I wanted to get it right. And I, and I, looking back at it, I think there's a couple of slow spots that I think I could fix now. But, um, you know, it, it just... Once that book was out, I sent it to my list and did pre-orders. It was the largest pre-order uh, I ever had. Uh, the first day of sale, it just exploded, um, and people have loved it. I get I get email about it all the time. Uh, people are desperate to see the next one. I have a prequel short story that is uh, associated with it called The Brass Hall um, that features the same character. I'm currently working on the next um, installment in that called The Atlantis Riddle. And, uh, same characters. And, uh, I'm very excited about it. I mean, I just, it, it's been a while since I've been so excited about a series of books, uh, that I, I could, I could see myself writing this for the rest of my life. Like that's, and that's saying something for me because I'm very, um, we'll say fickle <laughs> and, uh, I get bored easily with, uh, with, you know, the same set of characters all the time. And, um, but this, there's something special about these, and it, I think it's because it's the right genre. I think that for once in my life, I'm writing stories uh, that fit the inner, uh, the sort of inner narrative that I've always held on to. So I'm very excited about. It. I'm pleased with how it's doing. We'll just say that. <laughs> and and you did say earlier, but as with our conversation, the whole thing today has gone, you know, in a direction I didn't expect. But your sales have picked up. Mm-hmm. Your you're making a very good income from this. I'm assuming it's because of this book that things are really starting to move along for you, um, like writing-wise. Yeah. Are you hoping to capitalise on that, I should imagine, with, with your new book coming yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. I am, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I, I, I can see that this book was the a smart move for me career-wise. Um, and I think that's, that's a hopeful message for authors, um, it's, it seems funny, but you know, there, I'm not, I'm, I'm in no way selling out. Okay. I, I, uh, I've heard people ask about that and I want to make that clear because I want other authors to think this through. Sometimes you can look at your body of work and if you're not doing well, there's gotta be something, um, that you can change and it may just be the genre and it may just be, you know, maybe you're not writing books to market and, you know, writing to market is not about selling out. It's not about saying I'm going to write romance novels or Bigfoot erotica or something <laughs> and, you know, make millions of dollars. It's about saying what, am, what, am, what would make me happy that it would also be attractive to a mass market. Um, and this genre is big. It, it attracts the right readers for me. It attracts the, you know, it, it's, it's, there's an energy to it that I've always enjoyed. And I always shied away from it because I didn't think I could be a, a James Rollins or a David Baldacci or Dan Brown. I didn't think I could do that kind of story. Um, so doing it once proved it for me. It was a proof, proof of concept book. Um, but yes, my, the uptick in, in revenue for me has come from that book. The, um, the, I've seen explosive growth on my mailing list because of this book. Um, basically finding the right type of book for me really defined my business. Uh, in a way that I've been struggling to do for years. So while I was making it a, a decent enough living off of it, it's, it's really gone up. <laughs> yeah. And keep in mind that Kevin has been writing, what, most of your life? I think I read that your first story um, was a five-pager when you were five. Yeah, yeah. So it's taken the age of five to somewhere in your 40s yeah. to to achieve 
something that is really only a beginning. Yeah. And, and that comes back to that advice I would give my younger self or a young will be author. Um, it really does come back to writing every day and, and exploring. I mean, I think I limited myself because I loved science fiction so much. Um, because most, most of the things I read growing up were science fiction stories. And, uh, I, but I was never into the kind of, um, hardcore military sci-fi or any of that stuff that people seem to get into the stories I liked tended to be more contemporary and it never clicked with me that I could tell that type of story, um, and, and be successful at it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I always thought, well, if I'm going to write sci-fi, I'd better write the, uh, you know, the, the steel and bolt sci-fi that everyone wants. And I always failed at that because I don't write that kind of stuff. It's not interesting to me. So your interests, um, are, are a factor in this, but I think more important was I, you know, I did start early. I started, you know, I wrote my first book, like you said, at like five years old. I call it a book, you know, it was five pages, but I, I wrote that very young because I was a storyteller from that point. And, uh, I wish that I had clung onto that and just continued to write like that my whole life. I mean, I wrote short stories. I tried books. I had like my group of what I call my thirds, which are like the first third of a book, you know, that I had abandoned it. And then I got into uh, mass media and I wrote for, you know, in journalism, that sort of thing. And I wrote for newspapers and magazines and, and I got into copywriting and I wrote. And I was always doing everything but the writing that I wanted to do because it, there was this part of me that kept saying, um, you know, well, that's not a, that's not a job. That's not a real job. I'll just do this until I'm rich and then I can do that work. You know, I wish I had ca caught on to the fact that if I just did the thing I was passionate about and just kept pushing it, that I would be the kind of success I wanted to be a lot sooner. <laughs> uh, Kevin, you're talking to me. I started <laughs> writing 25 years ago and unpacking boxes. I found some of my very early rejection slips and I'm yeah. thinking, why did I turn away from that? And I did. I turned to journalism. I turned to short yeah. stories. I turned to articles. And it's only now um, that I'm turning back to what I'm truly, truly passionate about. Um, but I've got to admit, I've always lived a lifestyle. I refuse to give up my freedom for anybody. Um, now, last question. Do you have your books on the outside of your rig? Uh, I, do I have my books uh, on the outside of what now? <laughs> on your rig. Do you have, do you have them? Do you have your books advertised? On, on your RV? Oh, you know, uh, not yet, but, um, after, and I forget, I forget the interview that I did, but I, after talking to, uh, one of my guests and I apologize guest for not remembering who you are right now. Um, but I was so enthralled by that idea that I'm, I am going to do that. Uh, we've, we've been looking into, um, these like magnetic vinyl signs that I can put up, um, not, you know, a large chunk of that rig is, is fiberglass. So it's not going to, I'm going to have to find some other way to attach it. But I actually think that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> and when we've been in campgrounds <laughs> where people are advertising services like dog walking and, um, you know, haircuts, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, we've seen that and I, I think that works for people. So yeah, I plan to advertise it. I don't want to be too, um, gaudy about it. I want people to look at that and, and I want it to be kind of classy looking, we'll say. Uh, but yeah, I fully intend to, I'm, I'm kind of a whore when it comes to promoting myself. So I will totally put it up there. <laughs> I have my, I have my books discreetly on the front of my rig because when you're parked, uh, that's what people see as they walk up and down. Yeah. So my, my books are on the front and we paid for our summer three month trip just through book sales wow. and it's not huge. It's not a large amount of money, but it's enough to keep me on the road. Now, do you sell uh, books, so, uh, physical copies of your books from the RV, or do you just send people to to buy them online? I am I should we, we going to get in trouble by the tax man here? I do sell physical copies. I always okay. have a box or two of my books ready to go. Mm -hmm. I have some. I write middle grade fiction and um, literary fiction, if you like. Mm -hmm. And I thought it'd be the kids' books that bought, but it's not. It's my um, adult fiction that they people yeah. like, but they always pick up a set of the kid kids' books for their grandchildren as well. Um, I was very surprised, um, quite stunned, and I found myself giving away more than I sold. So my 
13-year-old daughter stepped in and she became the money woman and she insisted that I sell my books and she made quite a tidy sum um, to keep us on the road longer than we had anticipated. Interesting. I, I, I yeah. fully intend to do that. I don't know how I'm going to do that yet, but, um, you know, I have um, pay, PayPal's pay here device that you plug into your phone and you can take credit cards. So I figure, well, I can do it that way. Um, I can sell for cash, obviously. But I also, uh, you know, in addition to advertising the, the books online, I mean, I want people to be able to pick up physical. I figure I'm going to run into people frequently who will be interested in buying physical copies of the books. And uh, oh. that's part of why we're doing this anyway is a kind of, you know, roving book tour. So it, I'd be kind of remiss to not have them. So, I'm, yeah, I plan to have a whole stack. <laughs> yeah. and, and what it is, Kevin, and this is something for anyone who's out there and thinking of doing what we're doing, is it creates a conversation. And once you've got a conversation going, it makes living on the road all the richer yeah. because everybody's got a story to tell. And my, I'm actively encouraging people to tell their stories because – Every person says, oh, I want to write a book or I've been thinking about doing that. Yeah. So with people and you, like you and me out there, we can say, well, go and do it. Yeah. There's no, absolutely nothing stopping you but you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to um, turn this off now, but don't go away. Okay. I'm going to ask Kevin if he'll put a picture of his rig up on um, online and I'll put it up on my site for anybody who's curious to see how the 35 38 footers live as opposed to the 17 footers um and hopefully down the track kevin will come back uh and talk to us again and update his progress and how poor old car is surviving um the journey absolutely <laughs> all right okay thanks kevin Got it.